0: Why Vice President Mike Pence is publicly declaring his loyalty for the president and denouncing Times reporting about his political future. And they endured the traumas of civil war, then life under ISIS, the stolen childhoods of young Syrians. It's Tuesday, August 8th. New reports claim Vice President Pence could be running a shadow campaign to run for president in 2020 if the president, Donald Trump, does not. This morning, the vice president firing back. Vice
1: President Pence is pushing back hard
0: on this New York Times story, as are other White House officials. Glenn Thrush, I want to talk about this pretty fascinating situation with the vice president over the past couple of days. It started with a story in The New York Times. What actually happened? Well, it started with my colleagues
2: Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns writing what should be in most White Houses a fairly conventional story, that the vice president is building out his political team and that he's got aspirations beyond being the second banana and actually mount a 2020 campaign. But the story, I think, took on a greater sense of urgency because of the political predicament the president is in. He just uh, suffered this immense rebuke in the Senate. You have him, according to a Quinnipiac poll last week, at 33 percent. His approval rating, right. His national approval rating. You have some erosion among core Republicans to the point that Kellyanne Conway, his faithful spokesperson, admits that they've seen some erosion.
1: His approval rating among Republicans and conservative and Trump voters is down slightly. It needs to go up. They are telling him, just enact your program. Don't worry about a Congress that isn't supporting legislation to get big ticket items done. And don't worry about all the distractions and diversions and discouragement that others who are still trying to throw logs in your path are throwing your way.
2: And most importantly, you're starting to see independent support among independents absolutely collapse. So this guy is really vulnerable. And so the story was widely interpreted as an indication
0: that Pence was planning for Trump To fail. So what's the evidence that Mike Pence is actually starting to think about or debate or plan or plot to run for president in 2020?
2: Uh, He has his own political action committee, the Great America Committee. And he's had, by the way long-standing connections with the Koch
0: brothers' financial network. And Koch brothers like to fund Republican presidential candidates.
2: Particularly ones who are have this agenda of extremely low taxation and deregulation, which is where Pence okay. and Trump actually have a lot of overlap. We're going to cut taxes across the board for working families, small businesses and family farms and get this economy moving again. And finally, the, the really big tell here was hiring Nick Ayers as his new chief of staff.
0: The barometers for judging someone's electability is not national polling and it's not fundraising. He's
2: a longtime political consultant. Somebody who's worked on presidential campaigns.
0: If it were, then Hillary Clinton would have never lost to Barack Obama and Rudy Giuliani would have never lost to John McCain or Mike Huckabee.
2: You don't have a Nick Ayers around. And we should say President Trump and his team worked mightily early on to keep Nick Ayers out of the White House. Hmm. You don't have a guy around like that if you weren't planning for a significant political future.
0: Glenn, how did the vice president respond to this line of reporting that he was eyeing the presidency himself?
2: He really became uncharacteristically outraged. He put out a statement essentially accusing The Times of making stuff up, Mm -hmm. which is not true. Jonathan and Alex talked to more than 75 Republican operatives for this story and called the story disgraceful. Quote, whatever fake news, May come our way, my entire team will continue to focus all of our efforts to advance the president's agenda and see him reelected in 2020. Any suggestion otherwise is both laughable and absurd. And why do you think he went so far in his denunciation of the story? What was that about? Audience of One Syndrome. Notice that Pence did this publicly. This wasn't the kind of thing where Pence could walk up to the president with his hands in his pockets and say, hey, buddy, you know I have your back. Mm -hmm. The story, is, the story is ridiculous because they don't have that kind of relationship. Mm. I don't think Donald Trump has that kind of relationship with people. He has a commanding relationship and everyone else is subservient. And I just don't think that that is the kind of conversation where a private interaction would have done the trick. That's why Pence had to go public and it's why he had to give such a grandiloquent eloquent uh, articulation.
0: You're saying that because they don't have such a close relationship, the vice president needs to use the media to get to the
2: president. Look, everybody around the president uses the media to communicate with him. Hmm. But the vice president and president are supposed to have a personal relationship. That's kind of a core. If you look at the origin of their relationship, very few people wanted to be associated with Donald Trump at the time that Mike Pence accepted his vice presidential invitation. Trump appeared as if he was going to lose ignominiously. And at that point in time, Mike Pence appeared to be on route to being defeated for re-election as governor of Indiana. So these two were brought together by mutual political necessity. And I think that is the core of their relationship. And it's the greatest honor of my life to serve as vice president to President Donald Trump. I'm proud to call him my friend. And then finally, I think Pence has double proven his loyalty. And I think one of the reasons Pence had to prove his loyalty is because after the access Hollywood tape. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. He was very seriously considering either bolting from the ticket. I don't condone what was said and I spoke out against it. or toning down his involvement in the campaign. In fact, he took a couple of days to pray on the matter. But the other part of my faith is I believe in grace. He is somebody who does an awful lot of prayer. I've received it. I believe in it. And That did not sit that well with a lot of the folks in the president's inner circle. And we're called to forgive as we have been forgiven. And last night, my running mate, he showed the American people wasn't at heart. He showed humility. So I think part of what you see with these overt acts of loyalty, some would say over the top, has to do with him proving to the president that despite that access Hollywood experience that he is a devoted member of his team.
0: Ah, so what you're saying is that there's still an effort to prove his loyalty all the way back to moments in the campaign where it might have been questioned.
2: Well look at what happened at the end of Ryan's Priebus's term as chief of staff. Look what came out at the very, very end. What was the thing that estranged the relationship between Donald Trump and Priebus? It was the fact that Priebus was ready to turn on him after the Access Hollywood tape. That was a, a crucible moment for the president. Look who's sitting in the White House right now, despite being damaged, despite overstepping his bounds. Who? Steve Bannon. Bannon stood by the president and urged him to fight back like hell after the Access Hollywood tape. That is a line of demarcation
0: for the president, and Mike Pence was on the wrong end of that line. So finally, Glenn, this president has been willing to put a tremendous amount of pressure on members of his administration who he thinks have strayed. He's been talking about essentially getting rid of his attorney general for weeks now in very public slow motion fashion. So what might we expect from President Trump if he perceives that his vice president is a possible contender for his own job?
2: Look, if he publicly perceives that Pence is gunning for him, All bets are off and he'll do whatever is necessary. But that is why Pence's over-the-top statement was so over-the-top. He had to prove to the president that he was not behind that story. The question that really remains is whether or not this did any damage. Will Trump believe Pence when Pence says that he's really not doing all of this? If I know Donald Trump, I would say that there is always going to be a scintilla of doubt in his mind about Michael Pence started with the Access Hollywood tape, and I think this story compounded it.
0: Glenn, thank you very much.
1: No worries. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months... Wampli has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit wampley.com to learn more.
3: They lost their childhood. There are no more children. We cannot say these children are normal.
1: The
0: city of Raqqa in the north of Syria is a battlefield for the U.S.-backed coalition forces fighting to drive out ISIS. Right outside the city are refugee camps with some of the tens of thousands of children who have also been driven out of their homes in the process. Dr. Rajya Sharhan just returned from visiting three of these camps.
3: As a doctor, as a pediatrician, I'm used to children who are always resisting during examination. But the children in these camps did not have any reaction it's like they were traumatized, they were shocked. And I was also shocked. Hmm. Why don't they have this reaction? Why are they not responding as a normal child?
0: So even if you're putting a needle in their, in an arm or touching a, a, a foot or a finger, you're saying there's, there's basically no reaction.
3: No reaction to the point that even their body language, there is no body language, hmm. there is nothing. You can just feel that they are depressed children, they are traumatized. But unfortunately... I could not do anything for them. They need a lot, a lot of psychosocial support. Wow. These children were even afraid to see the outside world again normally. They think everything around them is going to kill them.
0: Everything. Yes. My colleague Samini Sengupta met one of these children. Mohammed, an 11-year-old boy who had just run away from his hometown after ISIS seized it to his father in Lebanon. He told Samini his story.
4: Yeah, so I met this boy named Mohammed, and he grew up in a town that was uh, not so far from Raqqa. Um, And Raqqa had been taken over a couple of years ago by the Islamic State, and they kind of made it their capital, um, in mm-hmm. Syria. And because it was their de facto capital, their rules were, you know, enforced to the max. So women had to cover themselves from head to toe, could not leave the house without a male um, escort. Um, and Mohammed remembers when they came in and his uh, school, which was a ordinary white schoolhouse, they painted it black. They raised their flag on it. They, of course, closed the schools. They told all the boys that, you know, they had to wear the Long pants and shirts, so even when he wanted to dive into the river for a swim, he had to wear a shirt. Um, he had to accompany his mother to the market anywhere where she needed to go because he was the eldest born son. Um, and he remembers when he would be at the market with his mother, he remembers being compelled to watch an execution. He said he wow. didn't want to see a beheading, but that was the rule. If you were out at the market and an it. accused criminal was, was being executed, you had to stand there and watch. So he said, you know, I grabbed my mother's hand tight and I tried not to see. And he remembers his mother saying, you know, God help us.
0: Is Muhammad's story similar to the wider reality on the ground for children in Syria right now? What are they experiencing?
4: You know, Muhammad really embodies... The trauma that Syrian children, millions of Syrian children have lived through, not just ones who have lived through ISIS-controlled areas. Because remember, if you were living in an area controlled by some other rebel group, for years you were dealing with barrel bombs or um, you know shelling. If you were living in a town that had been besieged by one warring party or another, and mainly it was Assad's forces surrounding besieging rebel-held towns, then food wasn't Mm -hmm. getting in. Um, One man who was a former Raqqa resident and who was helping out in one of the displaced people's camps, he told me that children would run up to him and ask him for guns. And children would divide themselves into ISIS and counter-ISIS militia and continue to play War.
0: So they're playing out the the reality and the trauma of the conflict they've been through. They're right. not playing like regular children.
4: No, because they have not been able to play like children before. Their entire world has been transformed. Um, and I was very, very struck by a survey that Save the Children did very recently. They surveyed a number of people across Syria. Nearly half of the adults they spoke to said they knew a child who had stopped speaking or who suffered from some sort of speech impediment. So, you know, literally children have been forced to live through and watch things that are unspeakable.
0: So you understand the brains of children and how they develop. If you could look forward to their adolescence and their adulthood what do you expect the lingering effect of these traumas will be
3: yes uh, this this is really worrying and also i have discussed this with the doctors and nurses inside camps that these children need special care these children have to be dealt a different way they have to be stimulated we have to try to bring back their childhood through providing uh, friendly spaces for these children to play, to return at least to what was considered for them as normal. Otherwise, we will lose them as adults. And they will not even be able to face life and to be productive and to merge as part of the society. It will be very difficult for them. So our role is to re-establish their childhood again, give them the confidence as children to play normally, not to fear from the environment, mm-hmm. not to fear that someone will kill them.
0: That sounds close to impossible to me, to, re- to recreate childhood. First of all, it seems it would be difficult to, to essentially turn back time, but also they are in these spare refugee camps. There are not playgrounds or you know, the normal infrastructure of a, of a happy childhood. So do you think that that's possible?
3: It's true. I fully agree with you. It's not easy. It's not easy, but if we don't start now, we will lose them. It's just starting by simple things, creating spaces for these children inside these camps. Mm -hmm. So we can start from this beginning, although it's from scratch, it's from zero ground. But at least we can ensure that they have a chance and they will have a chance to live normal.
4: I think the immediate task for a lot of aid workers there is just how to provide the basic stuff so that children can have a normal day again, you know, go to a building and learn to read, um... So it's not just one gun plus one gun equals mm. two guns. Maybe they can do some normal math. Maybe they're going to have a safe area right. where they can play and not be afraid of landmines. You know, there were parents who told us that, you know, there was not enough food. And so they would, whatever they could cobble together, they would feed their children. And so the kids wouldn't feel bad. Um, they would pretend to chew at mealtime. So the, the children would kind of think that mom was eating mm. something. But she wasn't. But she wasn't. She was just pretending to chew. And this, any parent has done. You know, if there's an extra piece of fish or an extra egg, you know, you give it to your kid first. But in this case, if there's food, period, you give it to you give it to your kid first. And if the child is old enough to understand it, you want to spare your child from pain, and so you pretend to chew.
0: Where is Mohammed now?
4: Mohammed made an extraordinary escape. He told his mother he wanted to leave. His mother... Took him through various checkpoints, you know, pretending to have a medical emergency. And she paid off a lot of people along the way. She dropped him off at the border of Syria and Lebanon. And when Muhammad tells this part of the story is the only time where his voice cracks (laughs) and, you know, his eyes like start blinking. And he said goodbye to his mother. And he crossed over with some other Syrians across some hills and into Lebanon. And his father, who was already in Lebanon at the time, met him at the border of Lebanon. And he now lives with his dad in Lebanon. And he uh, works in a little shop that sells potato chips. And he helps his father at a bakery where his father works. And he plays uh, football as much as he can on the streets with his other Syrian refugee buddies. And the minute that he left the ISIS areas, he did what he was not allowed to do. He cut his hair, hmm. and he asked his father to buy him pomade. And so his father bought him a little jar of, uh, of hair dye and pomade, and he dyed his hair. And uh, now he looks a little bit like a unicorn because he's got this little <laughs> horn of blonde hair. And he now wears uh, bright, like, Hawaiian print shirts and uh, tank tops, mm-hmm. things that were totally forbidden. And he's something of a hero because he escaped in this in this way um and like i said the only time that he sort of almost um got he got choked up and he almost started crying was when he was thinking of his mother so i think
0: who is left behind who is
4: left behind and his mother he thinks of he says he thinks of her all the time and he wants to go back and his siblings are still there but there is no telling when this family will be reunified
0: Thank you, Samini.
4: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Samini reports on another danger for these children in Syria even after they reach safety. Aid workers and U.N. officials say that the militias taking on the Islamic State are recruiting the children to fight like ISIS did, offering money, guns, and a sense of importance. A spokesman for the militia fighters, the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces, denies that allegation. Here's what else you need to know today. The Times has obtained a government report on climate change, written by scientists from 13 federal agencies, but not yet made public, which concludes that the average temperature in the U.S. has risen rapidly and drastically since 1980, and that Americans are already feeling the impact of a warmer climate. A government official who worked on the report told The Times that he and several of his colleagues are concerned that the Trump administration, which must sign off on the report before it goes public, might change or suppress it. The findings contradict claims by the president and members of his cabinet who say that human contribution to climate change is uncertain and the ability to predict its effects are limited. It's
4: a new day at the U.N. This was a day of action. This was a day where we stopped all the talk, and this is the day where we said to North Korea they have to stop their
1: irresponsible action.
0: North Korea is threatening to retaliate against the United States for its role in drafting new sanctions adopted by the United Nations over the weekend. Sanctions the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, described as the strongest sanctions against any country in a generation.
4: It will go after a third of North Korea's hard currency, It bans coal, it bans iron, it bans um, additional laborers that they can send overseas. It it has quite um, huge implications to North Korea. We hope they take notice.
0: The sanctions are a direct response to North Korea's repeated missile tests, which have violated a United Nations ban. In a statement, North Korea said it would never give up its missile or nuclear arsenals and vowed that the U.S. would, quote, pay the price for its crime